Good evening, McKendree University. Welcome to Without Biased, Episode 2. I am your host, Dante England. I hope you all are having a wonderful day out there. Well, today we're going to start our series on the importance of the arts. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get Dr. Itma to be able to come in and be my guest tonight as she had another obligation. However, what I have for you is an interview that I recorded with her earlier in the week, and I wanted to play that for you right now. So let's see how it went. Show what the people cared about. They are kind of what's left once the civil 
population's gone, we still have the arts. And so I think it's just, obviously I love the arts, uh, not just music, dance, theater, um, in terms of just the art itself of great masters. It's something that really does display what the people cared about at that time, what their lifestyle was like. You gain an understanding of other civilizations through their art. And even today I teach in my classes that we have art being created right now that reflects the concerns of the people and what's important to us. And so art is also a way to express yourself. I think that emotionally it does a lot for people. Um, and it doesn't really matter. I think because I'm a classical musician, people say you just like classical. I thought, no, I think music of all types speaks to people, whether it be country or hip-hop or whatever. So I, it's an incredibly important part of the curriculum. It gives somebody, you know, people can be involved in the arts, like I said, until they're in their 90s. You give people music lessons. It isn't just the price of the lessons. You've actually given them a gift for their entire life. Right, right. Well, hey, thank you so much for you know come, taking the time to do this interview with me, Dr. Rivna, uh, and uh, you have a good day. Thank well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, no problem. So the interview that I had with her I found was very, very telling as She's obviously a doctor, so her answers will be long and drawn out. But I'm glad that they were, because she was able to explain in detail why specifically choir is not only important, you know, to the community as a whole, but it does enrich, you know, the kids' lives that are in that specific um, organization. And as a choir kid, I can say that choir has really helped me in regards to organization, in regards to working with other people. So there are a lot of things to um, take stock with that. So what I want to do is I want to move on now to the second segment of this uh, podcast, and that is me basically reading a bunch of articles, well, mainly two, um, about a specific topic that I think had the most buzz. Now, I was going to talk about wiretapping today, but I feel like that was too easy of a topic. There's not really a gray area in my opinion. So what I want to do is I wanted to focus on the new health care bill that came out today not necessarily today, over the weekend. Um, there is a lot of controversy about this. And uh, what I did is I picked out two conservative articles and two liberal articles uh, to read to you, uh, to give you the both sides of the situation. And then I'll give you my opinion on what I think about it uh, after I read these articles. Okay. So the first article is from USA Today. And it, uh, it's written by Paul Ryan. And it's called Our Healthcare Plan for America. So it states... When I took the speaker's gravel, I told my colleagues that it's no longer good enough to just say what we're against. We had to show what we're for. That's why last year we released a complete policy agenda tracking closely with ideas from our presidential nominee, Donald Trump, to tackle all of the big challenges facing this country. The truth is we have solutions to all of the problems that Barack Obama has left behind. And there is no more urgent problem than Obamacare. The collapsing laws driving our health care costs and driving our choices for American families. This year alone, premiums have gone up by double digits in 31 states. Choices have dwindled to the point that one out of every three countries counties in America have just one insurer to choose from. Not too long ago, Bill Clinton called Obamacare the craziest thing in the world. He was on to something there. That's why we must end this law, repealing it once and for all. But rather than going back to the way things were, we must move to a better system that embraces competition and choice and actually lowers costs for patients and taxpayers. Introduced this week, the American Health Care Act keeps our promise to repeal and replace Obamacare. 
I hope you will read the bill online at readthebill.gop. Our goal is to give every American access to quality, affordable health care. For families, that means lower costs, more choices, and greater control. Let me walk you through how our plan will help us get there. First starters, our bill repeals Obamacare. We cannot rebuild the American health care system on such a flawed foundation. And that's why we eliminate Obamacare's taxes, mandates, and spending. <coughs> Next, and this is important, our plan ensures that we will be a sta- that there will be a stable transition. As we move from a Washington-driven system to a more vibrant market, we will make sure no one has the rug put out from under them. This also means we will ensure vital protections for patients with pre-existing conditions and allow young adults to stay on their parents' plans. We will also give states more funding and flexibility to support high-risk pools and reinsurance programs. Where Obamacare was built on mandates and coercion that made coverage more expensive, our plan takes care of those in need without driving up costs for any for everyone else. Next, while Obamacare just added people to a broken Medicare system, we will strengthen Medicare so that states have the tools they need to take care of their poor and most vulnerable populations at a lower cost. Our plan represents the most significant entitlement reform in the last 50 years. Republicans have long said that we have to empower patients as consumers to spur competition and bring down costs. That's why we will also nearly double the amount of money you can contribute to health care savings accounts to pay for out-of-pocket expenditures. This is Obamacare's limit on how you save and spend your health care dollars. Ultimately, we need a real marketplace for health insurance. Currently, the tax code discriminates against those who do not get coverage through their employer. To level the playing field, our plan offers an advanceable, refundable tax credit to those who don't get insured from work or a government program. Instead of mandates forcing you to buy what the government wants, you will have real choices. Available to those under a certain income level, this tax credit will be age-based and portable so that you can take it with you from job to job. And to help more people buy the kind of plan that fits their needs, we will get rid of the costly insurance mandates and regulations. In the weeks ahead, the House will consider this plan through an open and transparent process, including legislation to allow people to purchase health care across state lines. As we do, I do encourage you to read the bill so you can see the changes we are proposing. Here is the choice we face. Do we stay with Obamacare and the unsustainable status quo, or do we repeal and replace it with something better? The American Health Care Off offers a better way. It keeps our promise, begins to clean up the mess Obamacare has made, and builds a better system for all Americans. Now we must deliver. Now moving on to a more liberal article. The title of this is, With a New Health Care Plan, GOP Embraces Its Scrooge Image. And this is from the Boston Globe. Since the 1930s, the Republican Party has been largely seen as a party focused on the interest of big business and the wealthy at the expense of working-class Americans. While Republicans have occasionally been able to neutralize this image by playing on the racial fears of white working-class voters or portraying Democrats as out-of-touch elites, it's a stereotype that's long stuck. However, with the release of the GOP's long-awaited Obamacare replacement bill, the party has confirmed that the political image and the political reality are one and the same. If you wanted to offer, in stark relief, evidence of the modern GOP's disguised priorities, a health care bill that cuts Medicaid insurance for poor Americans and provides a tax cut for wealthy Americans is it. That is exactly what House Republicans have done this week. Under the GOP proposal, the Medicare expansion, part of Obamacare, which has enabled millions of poor people to gain insurance coverage, would be repealed in 2020 and replaced with block grants. Those already in Medicaid would continue to receive benefits. Those who aren't would be out of luck. But even for those still in the program, the shift to block grants would mean that benefits would be slashed. 
The replacement bill eliminates many of the tax measures in Obamacare, which would amount to a nearly $350 billion tax cut over 10 years, the benefits of which would go to Americans who make more than 200000 This is even a provision in the bill that encouraged health insurance companies to pay their CEOs more money. The legislation would allow shift Obamacare subsidies away from an income-based system to one that is age-based. In addition, it would limit the size of subsidies that are available to working-class Americans. These moves benefit healthier and wealthier Americans at disadvantaged sicker, older, and poorer Americans. The GOP would keep a few provisions that people like about Obamacare, allowing young people to stay on their parents' insurance until they turn 26 and maintain bans on denial for coverage for pre-existing conditions. But it would also get rid of the one provision that people dislike the most about Obamacare, the individual mandate, which requires people to buy coverage or pay a fine. Scrapping the mandate would likely create a death spiral in which healthy people would drop coverage, they don't have to worry about paying a fine, and insurance companies either raise premiums or flee an individual market that will consist largely of sick people. The bill would also end the requirement that health plans provide benefits like mental health care services and monetary care. And it would end all funding for Planned Parenthood and would force families to place their youngest child in indigent servitude if they cannot pay their health care bills. Okay, I'm not making that last part up, but considering the other... Ele- Okay, I'm making up that last part. But considering the other elements in this bill, I wouldn't be surprised if such a provision was left on the legislative cutting room floor. Indeed, perhaps the most striking reaction to the draft legislation is the criticism from those conservatives who seem to believe a bill that would likely take away health care coverage for millions of Americans is too generous. Even more amazingly, Republicans who for years falsely accused Democrats of ramming Obamacare through, the, through in the dead of night will spend just two days debating the bill and won't even get a scoring of the legislation from the Congressional Budget Office. This dog and pony show really has nothing to do with making American health care better or even fulfilling President Trump's pledge to create a tremendous health care system. If that was the intention, Republicans would be looking for ways to increase health care subsidies, pushing for further Medicaid expansion, or forcing insurers to offer more individual plans in order to create more competition in Obamacare exchanges. Indeed, this is not a very transparent effort to destroy a bill the GOP has spent seven years railing against. They want to keep Obamacare, and drafting even this limit of a replacement plan has been seen as the only political vehicle for doing that. If there's any silver lining in its release, it is that the chances of the bill getting through a party-line vote in the House and narrowly controlled GOP Senate are slim. But the real takeaway from the bill is that it is deeply reflective of a mindset and attitude among modern conservatives that government should do less, not more to help those in greatest need. It's reflective of a long-standing view that the role of government is to benefit the wealthiest in our society at the expense of the most vulnerable. Paying for tax cuts for the rich by slashing benefits to the poor has long been a talking point out of the mouths of Democrats. While this obscenery of a bill, Republicans prove that the particular political spin is spot on. The next article is a another liberal article, um, opinion piece. It is from the Washington Post, and the title is An Obamacare Repeal That's Both Heartless and Reckless. The American Health Care Act, which House Republicans unveiled Monday night with White House support, is repeal and replace, kind of. It has some suspicious similarities to Obamacare, but it makes a sharp departure in at least one critical respect, fiscal responsibility. The bill would repeal a vast array of the Affordable Care Act's pay-fors, pay taxes on upper-income people, and on health care-related entities, including drugs, insurance, and medical devices. 
To finance this spending, it still envisions that bill would replace those Sorry. To finance the spending it still envisions, the bill would replace those by cutting Medicare and other assistance to poor and near poor people. This is not only heartless, it is reckless. Within a few years, governors will be pressing Congress to protect Medicaid. At that point, it is, it is a decent but lawmakers... Sorry. At, this, at that point, it is a decent bet lawmakers will simply choose their default option when faced with a politically tough situation, make poor people suffer, and add to the debt. Republicans may insist that they will hold the line, but their recent behavior offers little assurance. In an earlier draft of their Obamacare replacement bill, House leaders envisioned limiting the preferential, the preferential tax treatment of employer-sponsored health benefits. This rational reform would have helped curb unsustainable increases in health care costs, but it is not popular with anyone other than economics. So Republicans ditched it, their bill also would delay Obamacare's principal cost-containing mechanism, the, equality, the Equal Unpopular Cadillac Tax. This would represent the second time that tax will have been delayed, creating the precedent, pre precedent lawmakers will need to push it off entirely. Adding to the irresponsible picture, Republicans are poised to mark up their bill without a full analysis from the Congressional Budget Office of its budgetary impact or, crucially, of how many people the proposal would or would not cover. On the latter question, there is an ample reason for concern. The bill would substantially reduce the amount of assistance that low-income people get to buy coverage on the individual insurance market, it would ramp up how much insurance can charge older people relative to younger people, and it would remove Obamacare's critical link between actual insurance costs and the federal assistance people get. Combined, these changes would push many needy people out of the individual insurance market. Republicans claim that Americans would have more flexibility in the sorts of insurance plans on offer including cheaper, catastrophic-only health care policies. But that sort of coverage, with its high deductibles and limited benefits, is hardly useful to people barely scraping by now under Obamacare's much, much more generous system. Passing the GOP's latest health care reform proposal would enable a few members of Congress to boast that they rewrote Obamacare. It also would allow House Republican leaders to flex their legislative muscles in the face of their intransigent right wing. But a lot of poor people would pay a substantial price to get them that satisfaction. Chances are, so would the federal deficit. So the last article I have here is a uh, more conservative article, and it's from the Wall Street Journal, and it's called A Historical, a historical Health Care Moment. The do-or-die moment for the Trump administration and the GOP Congress arrived on Monday as House Republicans rolled out their Obamacare repeal and replace bill. The question now is whether they can deliver on their reform promises and govern to improve the lives of American voters. The, Ameri the American Health Care Act would be the most consequential GOP social policy reform since the welfare overhaul of 1996. Not only does the bill repair the failures of the Affordable Care Act, it starts to correct many of the government-created dysfunction that have bedeviled the U.S. health care for decades. Opening this critical legislative campaign is a test of how well Republicans can manage political and economic reality. The House bill is a center-right compromise that works off a status quo that has accumulated for years, and its architects know they can't design a healthcare system de novo. The bill has flaws that came from accommodating what the votes in Congress would allow. Still, if this passes, it will be a major achievement and real progress. Through the individual insurance market dominates the debate, the House Medicare reform might be more important. 
This safety net program originally meant for poor women, children, and the disabled, and the disabled, has morphed into general insurance for working age, able-bodied adults above the poverty level, despite its low quality care and price controls. The House would convert Medicare's funding formula from an open-ended entitlement into a block grant to states. The amount would be determined by per capita enrollment and grow with medical inflation. States would thus have a reason to set priorities and retarget Medicaid on the truly needy. The GOP's envision giving governors more regulatory power to run their own programs and this flexibility would be accompanied by a new $100 billion stability fund for use in this post-Obamacare transition. We'll have a fuller treatment of Medicare overhaul in the coming days. But this is the most meaningful modernization of the program since it was created in 1965. The House transition lasts three years until 2020, which underscores one of the most one of the downsides of using the budget reconciliation process. This process allows legislation to pass with nearly 51 Senate votes, but it comes with anarch rules and limitations, such as reducing the deficit. Delaying some reforms is, on, is, one, is one side effect, and the GOP governors who could take the most advantage of most flexibility might not be around in 2020. Another unfortunate artifact of reconciliation is delaying the repeal of Obamacare tax hikes until 2018. The bill gets rid of nearly all of them, from the medical de- de- device tax to the health insurance tax to the 3.8 percentage point Medicare payroll tax on unsured income. But better to backdate this action through this year. That would avoid capital lock-in and boost growth in 2017, because investors will otherwise await lower rates. In the, individ- in the individual market, the bill discards Obamacare's web of mandates and regulations in favor of incentives to buy health insurance on a deregulated market. Obamacare subsidies are as much about income redistribution as access to care. For people who lack employer-sponsored insurance and aren't eligible for Medicare or Medicaid, the House substitutes flat-age-adjusted tax credits that float from $2,000 to $14,000 a year as people get older. A tax deduction is better economic policy but would offer less help to those lower lower incomes. The House credits are also refundable, meaning they become a straight cash payment to those with no income tax liability. This is costly, but then... Only about 7% of the population is eligible. The tax credits are also means-tested, phasing out after $75,000 for individuals and $150,000 for couples or for roughly the top 10% of earners. Increasing in fragmental tax rates will benefit cliffs and is, is a problem. But the income caps are set high enough that effects on incentives to work won't be especially strong. Far from a Republican entitlement or Obamacare light, the new tax credits start to fix a core bias of U.S. healthcare, which is that individuals buying insurance for themselves don't receive the same tax subsidy that flow to workers at businesses. A draft bill would have partially equalized the tax treatment of health insurance by crap, capping, sorry, capping this employer exclusion, but the provision got left out on the editing floor amid GOP and business opposition. This is a bad policy blunder. The final bill retains Obamacare's Cadillac tax on high-cost health plans but delays it until 2025. Maybe one day Congress will muster the political courage to take on the business lobby and limit the inefficient and regressive tax preference. 
Confusion abounds over the bill's handling of pre-existing conditions. Obamacare limits how far premiums can vary among people with different health risks. The House would also the House would allow premiums to differ, to differ closer to the true cost of care while repealing the individual mandate to buy coverage or else pay a penalty. To encourage continuous coverage, insurers could assess a 30% penalty for those who wait to sign up. Critics claim this change will tank the insurance markets, but the GOP bet is that if insurers are allowed to sell lower products that people want to buy, people will buy them without a mandate. By loosening rules that standardize coverage and extending financial help to consumers, the goal is to stand up to a more vibrant market with more choices than Obamacare permits. President Trump said Tuesday he's proud to support the House bill and hopes it passes quickly. His leadership will be critical, especially as strife grows on the right about the alleged insufficient conservative purity on the House plan. These critics say they want outright repeal first, and then maybe Congress can pass a, re- can pass a replacement someday. But Mr. Trump ran on repeal and replace, and House Republicans united around the Better Way plan. They promised real solutions to Obamacare's problems. Repeal only can't pass the Senate in any case, because Senate Republicans, with good reason, don't want to accelerate Obamacare's collapse or throw millions off the Medicaid rolls. Voters, turn to punish, voters tend to punish parties that disrupt their insurance, just as Democrats. In other words, the House bill is the only health care shown in town. If conservatives join Democrats to defeat the measure, the result will be to preserve Obamacare as is, and probably torpedo the rest of the GOP agenda, including tax reform. Good luck running for re-election in 2018 with a record of failure. The House proposal can be improved with amendments and more work will be necessary in future years to make Medicare more affordable. Promote innovation, protect the most vulnerable, and give patients more control of their health care dollars. But the bill is a major down payment on a brighter health care future. Republicans have a limited window for repeal and replace, and this is a one-in-a-generation opportunity. Democrats understand this, even if some conservatives don't. All right, so we have a lot to digest here. Obviously, there is a strong disconnect between these liberal articles and these conservative articles. And both make very good points, I like to think. I think the Democratic, or Democratic, I think the liberal articles take it a little bit too far, especially the Boston Globe article talking about how Republicans are deliberately trying to harm the poor or harm old people. Yeah, that talking point is very, very, it's disingenuous and intellectually dishonest. And I would say it needs to stop. That being said, that article did have a point in regards to they have not sent this to the Congressional Budget Office. We have no idea as the American people how much this is going to cost. And this and this is where Democrats, I think, can call them out on it. If you know, if you're a fiscal conservative and you believe in fiscal responsibility, how exactly are you going to be able? How are you going to be? How how exactly are you going to be able to fund this? And not just Democrats, but you know, hard Tea Party Freedom Caucus conservatives who only care about fiscal responsibility in this case. It is a hard sludge. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm glad that. Someone put forth a solution. I think that that is a good thing. I think Republicans, if they want to win election, want, want, want to do well in the midterms in 2018, they need to repeal and replace Obamacare. But the problem is, in regards to public policy and how Congress operates, this is something that shouldn't be easy. You know what I'm saying? This isn't 
This is this is talking about healthcare insurance for millions upon millions of Americans. This shouldn't be something that can be passed or debated about in two days. This is something that should be thought about. And what's really upsetting is they had the opportunity to do this for the last seven years. They won multiple elections on running, running on repealing and replacing Obamacare. You think they would have had a plan? And don't get me wrong, this American Health Care Act is a plan. But there are problems with it. There are some issues with it. Now, to the Democrats, I would say that this plan does have some good things about it in regard to the conservative philosophy. And when it comes to health care, at least the way I perceive it, I've always thought of it as the government should provide health care for people that cannot afford it. And after that, anyone who can afford health care should be allowed to go into the individual market and buy the health care that they, they, they that, that they choose. It's that to me to me that that is my belief system. I think that the government it, we have the government for a reason and even though even though you could make the argument that government created this problem in the first place the free market can only go so far some people just don't have the spending power the economic capital to do certain things let alone buy things that they want you know things that they need they can't even afford like health care like you know maybe even education depending on if they want to go to college you know their options are limited so in this case, I want the government to take care of the poor. I want Medicaid and Social Security to be reformed and be able to help not only just the elderly people, not only the young people, but the people that are disadvantaged in regards to income. But apart from that, I don't agree with the individual mandate. I don't agree with all the taxes. I don't agree with that form of health care. I think that as an individual, if I could afford, you know, that type of health care, I shouldn't have to be on one government program. And Obamacare is not doing that, but there is a push on the left for that type of system, this this single-payer health care system that, that the government does provide health care. And, you know, there's nothing wrong exactly with the government providing health care. There is nothing wrong with that at all. But I should be able to have the choice to refuse that government health care in the ability to go and buy some other form of health care within the individual market. I mean, we do live in a capitalist society. We do have a free market. Our insurance companies do make money off of this. And if I have the money to go do so, I should be allowed to go into the market and buy said materials. Now, this is just the beginning. There have been other bills and other um, other plans proposed by members of Congress. Senator Rand Paul has proposed some things. Um, some senators have proposed things. There are multiple plans out. But I think there's also, and I would warn Republicans, don't rush this. Don't rush this because you will lose in 2018. You might even lose in 2020. You might not lose the presidency. But you will, it'll be in reverse what happened with Barack Obama. Because if you all remember, under his presidency, over 900 seats statewide let, in regards to legislative bodies were lost. 19 governorships, gone. 
House gone, Senate gone. So many Democrats lost their seats because of their, you know, entanglement with the presidency, with the Obama administration and the Affordable Affordable Care Act. Republicans won in the midterms and gained seats every single election because one of the reasons was this repeal and replace platform. And if Republicans want to keep these seats and continue their success, yes, repeal and replace it if you feel so it is necessary. But don't rush it, because if you rush it, you could end up hurting a lot of Americans that need this health care. And along with that, you'll also lose your seat or an election. It has been the first time in eight years that Republicans have had control of Congress. And if they want to keep control of Congress, they need to be steadfast, careful, and reasonable. I don't want a far-right fringe group in Congress controlling the negotiations. This needs to be a bipartisan bill between Democrats and Republicans. Not only will this attribute to the unity, hopefully, of the country, but it will also be a step of getting back to centrist, being getting back to the aspect of being centrist, being comp. There's nothing and being and, and being able to compromise. There's nothing wrong with either. When it comes to governing, bipartisanship is is necessary. Neither one party has all of the answers. Hence, why we have two parties. Hence, why we have two competing ideas. Hence, why we have bipartisan legislation. And it even said in all the articles, there are things that, you know, everyone's happy about, you know, keeping, you know, letting younger people keep the insurance until they're 26, um, keeping the pre-existing conditions. That's good. Everybody can agree on that. But the problem is, is now we have a fundamental disagreement of how healthcare should be run. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to solve it in the next two years because, I don't think Republicans are going to be able to pass this bill. I don't. I think that there are enough relatively really conservative individuals within the House and even in the Senate that will not, along with their Democratic colleagues, of course, that will not let it go through. Because it either it, it, it either doesn't go far enough, or it's or 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 it's 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 you know for the conservatives or for Democrats it's going it's taking a step back. So we will see how that policy position progresses. So anyway, I wanted to thank you all for uh, listening tonight. I appreciate it. I hope that you all are having a wonderful week. Uh, No show next week because uh, spring break, and I will be home relaxing and enjoying my time. I hope you all, whether you're a student, faculty, staff member, or family member, I hope that you all get to enjoy your break. Um, Happy St. Patrick's Day. God save Ireland. Um, If if any of you Irish are out there, uh, God bless you. Um, but the following week, we will be continuing our Importance of the Art series with uh, the Importance of Band, and hopefully I will have Dr. Motor in the studio to be able to give an interview about the Importance of Band, and then I will do the same routine that I did uh, next week. We'll see what we we'll see what the um, most important topic is that week will be. Um, but anyway, you all have a good night. Thank you for tuning in. This is Dante Anglin, Without Biased, signing off.